Welcome to the Crisis Podcast, COVID-19 edition. My name is Travis Atkinson, and I am your host. Join me as we discuss behavioral health crisis services during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, everyone, to the Crisis Podcast COVID-19 edition. This is your host, Travis Atkinson, and I would like to start today's cast off by sharing a resource that I mentioned uh, a few episodes ago for individuals who are experiencing a mental health crisis or emotional distress and are looking for that first place that they can turn to for support. The website is called covidmentalhealthsupport.org and was developed by the Pandemic Crisis Services Response Coalition. If you know anything about the behavioral health continuum, you know that you need to have a lot of acronyms and and long titles sometimes, and so we've certainly achieved that in this instance. Um, But the PCSRC is uh, made up of uh, advocates and um, organizations who are providing crisis services or accrediting or serving as a, 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 a trade association for crisis services. So we have a number of organizations involved uh, at a national level, including the American Association of Suicidology, All Mental Health, the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention, Centerstone, Crisis Text Line, the Crisis Residential Association, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the Disaster Distress Helpline, Keep Appy, the Veterans Crisis Line, NASCOD, the Trevor Project, Live for Tomorrow, and Contact USA. I can't remember if I said Contact USA. And TBD Solutions, uh, which is where I happen to work. So check out the website. We've got a, a Find a Helpline tool that has over 600 crisis call center lines in the U.S., that provide free support to people in crisis. So check that out. Now on to today's episode. We are fortunate to have uh, two mobile crisis directors with us today, Tracy Bussey from Crisis Services in Buffalo, New York, and Mona Towns with Integrated Family Services in North Carolina. Um, I have had a chance to meet both of these wonderful women Um, at their programs or at conferences in the past, and they've just got some wonderful experiences to share and uh, some great ideas for crisis providers to pick up on perspectives of working and supervising a team during this pandemic. So without further ado, here is Tracy Bussey and Mona Towns. And today we are talking mobile crisis services with two of my colleagues, Tracy Bussey from Crisis Services in New York and Mona Towns from Integrated Family Services in North Carolina. Tracy and Mona, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So Tracy, I'm going to start with you. Tell us about uh, what you do at Crisis Services um, and why you do this work, and then maybe a little bit more about your mobile crisis team as well. Sure. Sure. 
services in Buffalo, New York. Um, I've actually been with the organization since 1996. Um, I started there as an intern. I think I accidentally fell into this work. I was working on my master's degree at that point and have been there, you know, ever since I moved into various positions. And at this point, I am the program director for our emergency mental health response services, which does include our, our mobile response for the community. So we um, we're a crisis agency, a one-stop center for a variety of crisis services for the for Erie County and Buffalo. And um, we have a lot of services all kind of like under, under one roof. So we have a 24-hour hotline that, you know, most people are familiar with, um, as well as an advocate program that provides uh, services to survivors of domestic violence, rape, family violence, and elder abuse. And then we have our emergency mental health response services that I oversee. And within that are a number of services. Um, first off, our mobile transitional services that provide support for individuals that are coming out of a psychiatric inpatient stay and need some assistance in transitioning back to outpatient care. And we try to keep them out of the hospital during that transition and make sure that they're securely linked in the community. We have a CIT program that provides CIT training as well as some crisis case management to individuals that tend to be interfacing with CIT officers in our community. We have some trauma response services that provide uh, critical incident stress management for people um, after a critical incident in our community. And then last but not least is our mobile outreach program as well too that provides psychiatric or emergency mental health evaluations for people that are at risk of psychiatric hospitalization. It's a hospital diversion program. We're trying to keep people out of the hospital whenever we can. Um, but when we're not able to do that, our staff do have the authority and the responsibility to transport to a psychiatric emergency room for further evaluation. So lots of services kind of all under one umbrella, lots of community education and training as well too. And we work a lot very closely with law enforcement in our community. Okay, uh, so tell me about how big Erie County is and what does that equate to in, as far as the number of assessments or the number of times your mobile team gets called per day on average? Sure. Um, outside of New York City, we're the largest um, metropolitan area in, in New York State. I don't know the exact uh, uh, population within Erie County, but we do serve the entire county. Uh, within the center of that is Buffalo and then um, it spreads into suburban and then rural areas as well, too. So it's a pretty large, um, pretty large county um, for us. Our mobile outreach teams, um, last year we averaged just under 400 uh, intakes into the program per month and about 160 to 170 evaluations per month as well, too. So it is a, it's a busy program. We're moving. There's a lot of other activities going on as well, too. Um, but that uh, the evaluations of the community really are the bulk of the work that people are doing on a daily basis. Okay, um, great. Thank you for that update. And we've got uh, Mona Towns here. Mona, sorry about the technical difficulties. Um, tell <laughs> um, us about tell us about the work you do and why you do it, and um, uh, and then a little bit about your mobile crisis team as well. Um, so thank you again for having me, Travis. Um, I have been working with Mobile Crisis now for the past 12 years in um, a couple of different capacities. I started out as a Mobile Crisis supervisor, and in that role, I covered or oversaw the services that were being provided in one county in North Carolina. 
Um, that's from 12 years ago to today. I, um, we are providing mobile crisis services in 30 counties in North Carolina. And really, I've done a couple of different things in my career as a clinical social worker, one of them being therapy. But I really realized that I really do like to work with crisis, work in crisis intervention. And I really like it because I'm able to see the impact or the effect of the service or of crisis intervention at a much quicker pace than I am able to see that when it comes to um, providing outpatient therapy services. So I really like to, as, as odd as it may sound, um, being able to work with people who are not doing well or starting to become unwell, but really being able to see almost like in a, in a, in a next day follow-up and a next conversation where just that intervention, that, that limited or, or initial contact with that person really has made a significant impact in their lives. Okay. Um, so you talked about uh, being able to see that, that quick turnaround. Uh, crisis services uh, certainly aren't for everyone, um, but some of us uh, uh, just flock to it or, you know, it, uh, we don't want to necessarily sit in an outpatient office all day. Um, uh, and uh, Tracy talked a little bit about diversion, but what kind of goals do you, does your mobile crisis team carry? Is it just diversion from psychiatric hospitals? Is it diversion from emergency departments? Um, if if your service works for the people in your community, what what are those outcomes that you care about? So one of the outcomes um, truly is diverting individuals from unnecessary hospitalizations. Um, with crisis, we recognize that there are some people that that is going to be the most appropriate level of care for them. Um, in our, um, I guess, keeping data and keeping track of, you know, really, is this service working? Are we really providing a service that is it's keeping people out of the hospital unnecessarily or keeping individuals from um, unnecessary emergency department visits? Um, so in our data that we have collected over the past several years, we have noted an average of 70% of the individuals that we work with do not need a visit to the emergency department and are diverted from the, the, a, a, an inpatient hospitalization. Um, but we also want to keep people out of jail. We also work with law enforcement um, to work with individuals or to be a resource if an individual may not be breaking the law but really, they really do need some some true, you know, mental health support or behavioral health support. So we can partner with law enforcement because we know that individuals are not going to receive the treatment that they really need um, in a jail setting. And we know that um, once they are out of jail, the, the likelihood of them linking with behavioral health services or, or, or substance use services is going to be very slim. Mm. So... Um Tracy, let me ask you this: uh, Do you have a a, a a metric that you that you try to reach for as far as your diversion? I mean, you can probably define this one of two ways, right? You can say yeah. uh, they don't go to a higher level of care, or they successfully get get services that are less expensive. Um, but do you pick a percentage? Is it is it fifty percent? Is it eighty percent? And then uh, just tell us more about that. Yeah, um, we definitely do. We, ha we have kind of a magic number. Um, it tends to sit around two-thirds to 70% of the individuals that we see face-to-face -face, face -face that we're able to and hoping to be able to divert from the hospital. But that being said, we also know, like Mona said, that there are some people where that higher level of intervention is absolutely necessary. They're not safe to remain. 
in the community. So, so we would take them into the hospital. And in that case, what we're also measuring is if we do take someone into the hospital involuntarily or voluntarily with us, um, we want to know if they're admitted or not. Because if we're taking people into the hospital and they're turned right back out in a few hours, that probably wasn't the right choice for them. So we do keep track of both of those points and we want to see those combined or as close to 100% as possible. So the diversions plus the transports into the hospital with admissions. So we keep good eyes on that. And, um, you know, besides that, we're often looking at just the people that we, we keep in the community. If they're not already linked to services, what can we do to try to get people securely linked so that maybe they're not circling back to us, they're not circling back to law enforcement, and they're not circling back to the emergency room again? Okay. So, um, Mona, how has COVID uh, and social distancing and stay-at-home orders, how has that affected your team's functionality? Are you still seeing people in person, or what adaptations have you had to make? Um, so COVID has been something that I don't think any of us, especially those of us who work in crisis, could have ever prepared for. Um, in the state of North Carolina, our mobile crisis management service definition allows us to provide mobile crisis services either face-to-face -face or telephonic. Um, with our agency um, and providing mobile crisis services since 2006, all of the services that we provide are face-to-face, -face, except if they're um, in a state of emergency, as there is now. Um, so the only other times prior to now that we have uh, modified our service delivery have been um, with hurricanes. That has been the, the main um, time when we have done that. But with COVID, we have um, significantly in, um, modified our service delivery where all of our crisis response takes place um, telephonically okay. for the exception of referrals that we receive from law enforcement, uh, fire and EMS, as well as magistrates. Um, and when we are receiving referrals from those stakeholders that do require or and, and that really hasn't been something that has been required of us, it's not been it's not required by the state, not required by our uh, local management entities that we partner with. But it truly has been that we really have partnered with those stakeholders and partnered with law enforcement that we recognize that they really do depend upon us to be able to assist when individuals are in a, a behavioral health crisis situation. So for those, we are still responding. We are still using a screening. Um, some of the screening questions, um, we do have um, the PPE that we are using with the mask as well as the gloves. As with everyone, it is still hard to come by. Um, even mm -hmm. though we, we hear it's there, and but it will take a couple of weeks for it to get shipped to us. Uh, but as much as possible, we are making sure that the individuals that we are serving and responding to are safe. But we also want to make sure that our staff are safe. Um, another mm -hmm. modification that we have made is that all of our mobile crisis team members are now remote. Um, so all of us are working out of our homes. Um, and for some, some may rotate going into the office, but still trying to make sure that they're maintaining the six feet away from each other. Um, and that has truly been an impact, you know, had an impact on our staff as well, not being able to see each other. I mean, with mobile crisis, you're a family, you see the good, bad and in between and not being able to have that, that connection, you know, has really had not only an impact on the individuals that we serve that we're used to seeing, but mm -hmm. also our staff who are used to seeing people and connecting with people in that, that physical 
in the physical presence. And now how do I truly provide crisis intervention services over the telephone versus face-to-face? Yeah, which is a great point because the I've had many crisis uh, call center um, uh, operators or directors tell me that the skill set is different mm-hmm. and it is hard. It's really hard to do work on the phone, but people on the phone can usually adapt to being in person, but people who are mm-hmm. doing work in person can't always adapt to doing the work on the phone. Mm-hmm. So when you say telephonic, mm-hmm. do you mean just the telephone? Or are you using tablets or smartphone devices or something like that to actually see the people that, that the mobile team is assessing? So we are able to use like a telemedicine platform or we, um, our agency has a um, different account. So we are using Zoom where we do have some of the individuals, they are willing and, and have the means because we recognize that not everyone has uh, even has the means to be able to um, connect with that platform. But we are serving individuals in, um, initially, of course, they call in initially and then they are linked with that mobile crisis uh, mobile crisis worker, and then they are offered, how do you want to proceed with the assessment? Here's how we can do this. Still trying to offer them, still some of that one-on-one connection if they want to be able to see the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they if they solely want to go through the you know assessment process or go through the intervention telephonically, uh, we are able to do that. And even with that, it, we have, you know, really noted, again, when we've done this maybe a handful of times over the past 12 years, now it is we have to train staff on telephonic crisis intervention versus everything that we have done in our training manual and our training model has been building rapport, monitoring those uh, nonverbals and, you know, being able to pair. So all of those things, and it just has completely shifted our our ability to provide services. Interesting. Um, The last question I want to ask before I ask some of the same questions to Tracy is how did you get your technology, your Zoom, your whatever platform you're using so quickly? One of the biggest barriers that we're hearing from mobile crisis teams is just to be able to get 10 tablets or five tablets or, or build the relationships with first responders to bring the tablets with them to do the, you know, to do the assessments. Like what's, how did you, how were you able to turn that around and how long did it take? Well, we are, we provide services in rural Eastern North Carolina. So even outside of this, we have provided services through telemedicine in our office setting. Okay. So we have an office, and what that means is we have an office in Ahoski, North Carolina. I'm sure you've never heard of it, but Google it. And we also (laughs) have an office in Greenville, North Carolina, where I'm sure you've heard of because most people, I mean, that's where, you know, a, a lot, it's a bigger area. So if our physician or if our psychiatrist, if, if they are in Greenville or if our therapist is in Greenville, they are able to connect with an individual who is in our Husky office or our Elizabeth City office or in, in one of our other office locations. So the concept of telemedicine was not new to us mm-hmm. um, as an agency, I should say that. However, okay. it has been new to us in providing mobile crisis management services. Uh, But with our mobile crisis staff, 
and again, they are spread out between among between thirty counties. They are all equipped with a uh, a smartphone, and they're all equipped with a laptop. So they already had those types of electronic means to be able to connect with individuals. Um, the biggest difference has been now they are in their homes, uh, majority of them providing services versus being in the office setting. So the rural settings that you served. Uh, forced you to have telehealth capabilities a long time ago, and you were able to leverage that into your mobile. That's very interesting. Cool. Um, Tracy, uh, last time I saw you in person, um, we were having some conversations uh, with you and leadership at Crisis Services in Buffalo saying, you know, maybe this idea of like remote workforce, uh, you know, we should uh, entertain that. Um, and I imagine those conversations were accelerated very quickly <laughs> and sure uh, for many parts of your organization. But tell us about what that transition's been like for your mobile team, how they've been affected, and if there's been any loss in capacity or effectiveness in their work. Sure. I think in some ways, um, you know, it feels like night and day. And in other ways, we're kind of business as usual in our mobile program. Aside from our hotline that remain on staff, and I have a few workers that remain on staff for our mobile team, um, the majority of our, our staff are, are now remote. So they're operating out either from homes and cars and you name it. Um, but our mobile teams have continued to respond to people face-to-face -face very carefully and very thoughtfully. But um, the vast majority of our of our interventions have remained face-to-face -face with some tweaking. So we're fortunate enough that, it, like Mona said, that you know, we have the technology in place already. All of our staff have smartphones, they have laptops, they have the capabilities to be able to do this and, and to work in a remote capacity from their homes or vehicles. Um, and so we've just done a lot to try to um, mitigate risks coming in to keep people safe. Uh, so COVID risk screenings as people are coming in, we developed a tool with some guidance from the New York State um, Office of Mental Health. And so we're doing that screening as referrals are coming in to determine the risk level and sending someone into that home and doing that multiple times throughout the case in case we have to go back out there again or we haven't made our way out to the home yet at that point. Um, but staff, you know, they're out there. They do have masks. We have gloves. We have masks to provide to clients that we're assessing as well, too. So we've been lucky that our supply, um, once we require the supply, we were able to get it. We have been, we've worked very hard over the years in our area to be viewed as officially as first responders. So you have police, you have ambulance, you have fire, and we have crisis services. And um, I think because of that, we were able to have the appropriate PPE and we have not run out at this point. I always feel like I need to knock on wood with that, but um, <laughs> but so far we've been we've been good. So just a lot of steps, you know, in terms of social distancing when we're on visits, including we don't put our team members in cars together. They're driving separate vehicles out to homes so that we're not partnering them up in one vehicle. And um, a few weeks ago, we did get approval from our, our major funder to, to be reimbursed, reimbursed for evaluations that are not conducted face-to-face. -face. So we do have the capacity to use uh, Telephonic and Zoom as the platform that we have chosen to use as well. Mm -hmm. But in the few weeks since that was approved, um, we've, we've only used it one time at this point. Uh, there, I'm sure there'll be more to come. It hasn't, it hasn't gone quite as smoothly for us, I don't think, with the population that we're serving, not having that technology necessarily yeah. that's needed for that um, has been a, a bit of an obstacle. But we've, we've done a lot of other things that we feel um, 
we feel decent about people going out to home still and the staff feel that, that they're safe still at this point. Okay. And that brings up a good question that I hadn't even considered. And I want to turn this back over to Mona. Um, we're, I was assuming that uh, you're using some kind of um, uh, a device of your own for the client uh, that, that you're assessing, but are you actually connecting with the people that you're assessing directly on their devices, such as a computer or a, um, a tablet or a phone or something like that? Yes. Okay. Yes. All so right. So we're able to send them. Um, and again, this has been interesting for us. We're able to, you know, and it really does come with, you know, trying to first have a conversation and try to build at least some type of rapport and then offering them that choice and explaining this is how, um, how this process would go. I will email you a link and then we will, we can stay on the phone and then we will connect and we are able to see each other. That way, you know, you can see my background. You can see that I'm the only one here um, <laughs> to be able to do it. So yes, that connection is with that, that individual. And that, you know, as she said, that is with, you know, if they have the capabilities of, of um, having that, that being able to um, link with that platform. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll throw this out to either one of you. Um, how has utilization been affected? Um, we've, we've heard varying reports across the crisis continuum of increases versus decreases, but what's the experience been like uh, with your teams? Sure, I, I can start with that. For our mobile team, it's our numbers and utilization rates have been very consistent with what we saw pre-COVID. So we do a lot of tracking almost on a daily basis mm -hmm. of referrals coming in, of uh, mobile responses, uh, lots of different data points, and it's really looking fairly consistent. So it really demonstrates, you know, it shows the need that's out there. That doesn't change when these other things happen. In fact, sometimes I think that it can and worsen, but we're seeing really, really stable numbers coming into the program. Okay. Uh, Mona, how about so you? So ours has been the complete opposite, Tracy. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, you know, are you doing any um, different or extra ways of um, getting information out there? Because we've had we've had the complete opposite. Our numbers have significantly dropped for mm -hmm. the individuals that we are serving. Um, we also are on calls every day where we are monitoring and looking at you know, how many individuals are we serving in comparison to this time last year? And we have noted a significant decrease. And the concern really is about, we know that individuals are struggling. We know that crisis has not stopped. Um, we have reached out to our local emergency departments to inquire with them about what are their numbers looking like as it relates to individuals coming to the emergency department with uh, a chief complaint related to a behavioral health concern. And they have noted that they've seen a significant decrease. Now, they, of course, have made it very clear that we don't want individuals in our emergency department, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we really um, unnecessarily, we absolutely at this point do not want individuals, you know, again, unnecessarily in our, in our um, emergency department where 
the chief complaint is related to behavioral health, but they've seen a significant decrease. Uh, we have linked with our uh, local management entity, which is in, in North Carolina. There, there, there are several different local management entities that oversee behavioral health services in, in different regions of the state. So we have reached out to our uh, local management entity who also has a, a, an access to care line uh, where sometimes individuals may contact their access to care line and then they are warm transferred over to our mobile crisis hotline. And they've also received, you know, seen a, a decrease in the amount of individuals that are linking out. So we are, you know, at this point trying to be creative in how do we remind the community that we are still here, we are still providing services. The services that we are providing have been modified, uh, but we are still here. And one of the things in, in North Carolina, and I'm, I'm sure in New York as well, um, has been that our schools have shut down. And now we just received this going to be for the rest of the school year. Um, <laughs> but one of our, you know, key stakeholders and key partners just time of the year really is schools. And when they are connecting with um, with children and adolescents who are struggling, they, you know, are making sure that they are contacting mobile crisis, linking those children and families with crisis services. Um, so we're, I'm, I'm interested in Tracy to know, you know, where are those calls coming from? Are you yeah. doing anything different? Because um, we're, we're, it's almost, and then the other worry is like calm before the storm. Because huh? if they're not calling now, once yeah. this is over, well, yeah, it'll be something different. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to what you're saying and a, and a couple of our other programs that I oversee, we're definitely seeing lower numbers. And those are the ones where um, in our CIT case management program, referrals mm -hmm. come from law enforcement and law enforcement are, they're busy with lots of things right now. And so mm -hmm. those referrals are down and we've been monitoring that really carefully. And our mobile transitional support program that sees people coming out of the hospitals, they're mm -hmm. about stable, but a little lower than normal. Um, so like what we know is in the hospitals as well too, that um, like you had mentioned, numbers are down in our psychiatric emergency room. Mm -hmm. um, so it is kind of interesting that our mobile has remained, um, the numbers have remained pretty consistent. I think some of that, um, we, we have made ourselves pretty visible in a number of ways, you know, with the almost daily briefings that go out from our county on reports that had, you know, the health department's involved and, you know, our, our number is up consistently on those broadcasts running along the ticker. I think that those things do make a difference to say that, you know, these people, they're still there, we're still operating. Um, and I think another piece of it is, you know, a good portion of our referrals come in either via law enforcement or they come in through um, outpatient mental health clinics. So we operate as the, you know, the after hours response for people that are at risk of hospitalization. So a clinic, um, no matter what, they're going to have people that are going to need help from time to time. So that hasn't really changed. And in fact, some ways their capacity might be lowered at this time. They're not doing face-to-face -face either. And so I think some of that has kind of streamed, streamed our way. Mm, and it's okay. probably some of the things that have kept us kind of stable. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to show a graphic up here for just a second to try and frame this conversation a little bit and see if I can, um, what do I want to do here? 
I want it to be solo. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is a graphic that kind of kind of shows the ideal crisis continuum of services. And your mobile crisis team is that is kind of that second point in the in the process. And you talked about diverting people from the ER, from the psychiatric hospital when possible, sometimes sending people to a 23-hour service or a crisis residential or crisis stabilization unit. Um, but I, the problem comes in when one of these links in the chain gets, uh, you know, stymied or they can't refer to the people that were there before, you know, maybe you're going out to see a, uh, to do a mobile assessment and a person doesn't have transportation and mm -hmm. they don't have a job or they can't get to an outpatient appointment. They can't do a telehealth appointment because they don't have the technology. Um, and this system very quickly can start to, to, um, be compromised. Um, so one thing that I've heard is that for, and I don't know how this works in your communities, but some crisis services are um, in a fee-for-service model. So you only get paid when you deliver services. And so if there's been a decrease, like Mona's talking about, and we've heard from a number of crisis uh, providers across the country, then your revenue is down. Mm -hmm. And then you might have to lay off staff or furlough staff, um, look at other alternatives. But we also, I think Mona alluded to this, we might be uh, um, getting ready for uh, mm -hmm. a sharp increase in mental mm -hmm. health service needs and crisis service needs. So then what do you do when not only are you going back to the, to the levels that you were at before, but you're actually going to need more capacity than that. I'm curious if that's a conversation that's happened in your uh, in your centers and what you're thinking about that right now. Sure, I can, I can start with that. Uh, you, go ahead, Mona, if you want to go. You're, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think we're just getting worst of this at this point. What does this start to look like now and what do we need to be prepared for? So... Um, I think that those are conversations that we're going to be emerging in in the next couple of weeks. Um, I do think that we could, just like Mona said, be kind of like that, that it's coming, that it's that it's going to get worse before it gets better here at this point, where a lot of a lot of the individuals that we serve at this time, you know, we're seeing a lot of isolation and. Um, Travis, like you said, the, the inability to get to get to services that at some point does that start to, to break down and that we start to see that the crisis system needing, needing to kind of kick even further into, into gear at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think another thing, um, because we, we are one of those providers, um, you know, really being able to see a, a significant decrease in the, not only the, you know, the in number of individuals that we are serving, but in then the, and that revenue that is a direct impact, um, and and really, as she as Tracy said, you know, really just starting to have that conversation of, you know, what does this look like for the next couple of weeks? Uh, what is sustainability for the next couple of weeks? And then what does this look like in the next couple of months? Um, while also trying to make sure that you are, you know, remembering that you have to have staff in order to provide services, and you have to have staff who are well. Mm -hmm. and who have the ability to continue to provide services. Um, another thing that I have, have even thought through is once we are able to get through this or going through the next couple of weeks and, you know, whatever the new normal is going to look like slowly, slowly starts, we're going to see individuals who have never received 
behavioral health treatment before. Yes. And yep. their first, you know, entry into behavioral yep. health treatment is going to be a full-blown crisis. And my mm. fear is at what level is that crisis going to be? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be, you know, um, you know, a crisis that we see that, you know, really they are, you know, experiencing symptoms that may be related to acute stress disorder, or is this, you know, PTSD, or has this impacted them in such mm-hmm. a way that they're hopeless and are having, you know, other thoughts? Yeah, oh, I, I think angry. that's I, I think that's on the mind of a lot of crisis providers. Um, Tracy, do you want to do you want to add to that? Yeah, I I just, I have to agree with that. I don't know if I have anything in particular to add to it, but I think, um, you know, that entry point into behavioral health, you know, it might not look like people approaching outpatient clinics. It might look like we get people at their crisis point and they're, and they're entering the system with us. Yeah. At that point. Um, how would you assess how your funders and uh, you know people in in positions of power or decision making are um, conceptualizing your place in some of these behavioral health solutions? Obviously, your communities thought you were valuable enough to you know not just have you uh, uh, develop your services however many years ago, but to continue to operate them. Um, are you being invited to the table in these discussions about public health and and social determinants and you know how how do we plan for what's coming up next? Um, just I'm just curious about how how the greater uh, community partners are responding or include to what level they're including the crisis providers. I, I feel I I feel like we are part of that that. Um, that network. Um, we've done, a, like I mentioned before, we've done a lot of work in the past in order to be viewed as first responders in the community. And I think that we're seeing the benefits of that right now. Um, I think we've seen it at other times too, but I think it's it's what we had worked so hard to do along the way. And because of that, I feel like we're at those tables. You know, we're at those briefings. We're at, you know, when the health department is speaking, that we're, we're part of that decision-making. Um, and our, our funders in general, for, for our mobile team, we're funded uh, partly by our department, of, our Erie County Department of Mental Health, with some state funding as well too, and then through our our psychiatric emergency room. Actually, our emergency rooms in New York State are required to have a mobile outreach component built into them if they're a CPAP. No kidding. If they're a CPAP emergency room, um, they're required yeah. to have something by regulation, and so a lot of them choose to contract that out, and we are that contracted entity for. For our um, for our CPAP emergency room, and because of that, there, there's always going to be a vested interest because we're keeping people from coming in that don't need to to come in. So we're we're kept at that table. That is closely. so. That's so smart. Um, yes. uh, there's been there's been a there's been a number of things that the state of New York has really impressed me with around crisis services. Mm-hmm. One is that I believe they publish their rates for the CPAP, like how much it costs per day for people to go there. Um, but the fact that they would build a uh, CPAP, but say, by the way, we only want people using this if they absolutely have to, because we mm-hmm. value diversion and keeping people out of higher levels and more expensive mm-hmm. levels of care. And so, so to require a team like that, I think that's brilliant. Gosh, I they, love that. they have to have some sort of mobile outreach capacity to to try to be diverting. So I think it's done differently depending on the CPEP across the state. I'm not familiar with how everyone does it, but um, this is a smart model. 
for sure. Yeah. Mona, uh, what would you say? Are you, are you being included in these conversations and, and feel like your voice is being heard, uh, about next steps and what might happen next in behavioral health crisis? So one of the, um, really good things when I do have to report almost daily to our funders, basically. So our um, local management entities, if there have been any changes um, to our service delivery, if we've had any of our offices that are not open to be able to have individuals walk in, um, any of the needs that we have, um, some of them have as best as they could help to support us with identifying the uh, PPE um, again, as best as they could, because it is, it, it's just it's scarce around here, mm-hmm. as with anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really have connected almost daily to say, what are your needs? Do you have any, you know, has your service delivery uh, modified? Or are there some counties that you're not able to serve due to a decrease in the number of staff that you have on your mobile crisis team? Um, the state has done some other things that have been uh, modifications as it relates to some of the trainings that are required for uh, for staff and being able to modify some of that. Uh, but a lot of that communication really has been um, to, to take it on a state level has really been with commu- our communication with our local management entities who then have to turn around and make those, um, participate in those calls and those provide those reports to the Department of Health and Human Services. And I would imagine um, right now in our um, state of of provider versus uh, payer, it's a provider's market right now, and uh, and crisis providers might be able to offer some real, not just uh, real time, but but meaningful solutions to payers that they haven't worked with before. Maybe that's commercial health plans. Maybe that's the VA. Maybe that's Medicare. It would be amazing if Medicare would, um, you know, underwrite crisis services. They don't. They don't. It's not part of their their package, you know. Um, but if there ever was a time, seems like this would be a really helpful time to to uh, engage that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask about getting creative. You know, I like to think the crisis uh, providers are in the business of finding ways to say yes. Um, to, you know, when, uh, when other people can't find a way to serve someone, crisis providers often step up and say, we can find a way to do that. Um, how have you either exercised or witnessed creativity in the last couple of weeks within your organization and how you're serving people in crisis? And I'll start with Mona on this one. Um, so really the creativity really was the, the, the telemedicine platform, because there was, that is not something that. Um, at least that we are familiar with that the state has done before. Uh, But again, it was something that we wanted to be able to still have a partnership and still be able to physically have that that physical connection with individuals. Um, Some of our um, local hospitals have contacted us to try to see what are some things that we can do to help with, you know, really trying to divert individuals over to mobile crisis. Is it that we need to have Um, stations outside of the emergency department, you know, what kind of connections or what, you know, um, different way of of, of providing services can we provide? Because we don't want individuals in the emergency department, especially at this time. Uh, We want to make sure Mm -hmm. that those beds are being used for individuals who truly, you know, truly do need that level of care or for those individuals who are experiencing medical, uh, medical issues. 
Um, but outside of that, a lot of it has been more of less, you know, starting the conversation and starting these different discussions and almost being proactive. And let's go ahead and talk about how this can potentially work in the event that we see a, a significant spike in the individuals in our community who are um, using those hospital beds and making sure that individuals who are in behavioral health crisis, their needs are still being met. So a lot of that is still some conversations that we have had, um, but nothing that has been um, implemented as of yet. Got it. Uh, Tracy, how about you? Uh, what, what types of uh, efforts and creativity have you seen in your organization? Yeah, I think the thing that we're the proudest of right now, um, you know, for so many years we had this obstacle. Our, our team operates, you know, on a normal day out of one large room with a triage board, similar to what you would see in an emergency room. And that was how we kept track of the workflow and where people were at and who needed to go where next. And as we needed to push to this um, remote and mobile capacity, it was the one thing that we thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? And through the creativity of a few staff people and a few of my managers, we were able to push that onto a, a remote, um, a Google Doc, basically, that anyone has access to that um, really helped us to watch the flow of the work through the day. So it's an active document. We don't have client names in it at this point. We're eventually going to try to secure a HIPAA-compliant version of um, Google Docs so that we can do that. But at this point, it just has client IDs in it. And um, it's really amazing to be, we can watch the workflow very actively. Multiple people can be in the document at the same time. Everyone knows exactly what client needs a phone call, exactly what visit is next, where any team is at any given moment. And it was a really, um, it was a really exciting moment when we figured it out because I think we've been wanting to move a little bit more remote um, for a number of years, and it's been the, the, the sticking point that we haven't been able to do. And so this crisis forced some significant creativity, and um, we got the job done. I think it's something that will continue, you know, well past this crisis. Hmm. So Tracy, some of you might you know uh, Laura May. March. Can you say that again? Uh -oh. oh, we lost so your volume. We are using smart sheets. Uh oh, smart can you hear sheets. me? Yeah, I got it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we can hear. Yeah, it. so we have a business agreement with um, smart sheets, and we have okay. nine team, nine different teams, and we can include the individual. We call them names, or we can include their information, and it has been amazing because even yeah. as the director, <laughs> you know. I can oversee and see what is going on in Wilmington. I can see what's going on in a I hospital. can see right now. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right now I can see. Uh, yeah, I know. I love it. So I'm going to look that up. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Look at the synergy happening on the that. crisis podcast. This is phenomenal. All right. I want to. crisis, I wanna, whatever um, works, we want to know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sharing information, you know, conferences, best practices, whatever. Um, little shout out from uh, Tracy's uh, supervisor, Jessica Pirro, CEO uh, of Crisis Services in Buffalo. Says Tracy and her team have been amazingly creative to keep staff connected <laughs> so their department service was seamless. Great teamwork. Thank you, Jessica. Look at that. Uh, I, I agree. Have a great love. team. That's 
that is, it, it's nice to have a great team. You know, it's, uh, it's like, Hey, Amazing. I don't mind hiring people who are yeah, smarter than me, better than me. Like mm-hmm. let them, let them soar in times like this. Yes, I totally um, agree. <laughs> All right. So Laura Mayer from PRS Crisis Link, uh, who does amazing work in Virginia, um, was on the, the podcast a couple weeks ago, and she talked about some of the unintended consequences of these changes. And I think that's a big topic that we're talking about, right? Like we're trying to stop the spread of the virus, Mm -hmm. but here's all the things that are happening. People are losing their jobs. People's mental health is compromised. Uh, You know, we're there's, there's so much of unintended consequences that I think is, is a part of, of why this is such a struggle. But one of the things she mentioned was that as a call center uh, operator, you know, uh, a supervisor, I should say, she is, then taking calls in her bedroom or in one of the, like a guest bedroom or somewhere that her family previously never was exposed to. And Mm -hmm. so it's, you know, her kids are having to hear or see things that you could protect them from before that. And so I, I bring that up to ask this question. Um, what, what impact, um, you know, unexpected or, or, or maybe of a struggle of a struggling nature is this having on your home life and, um, how is it impacting how your families or your, your friends or neighbors understand the work that you do? And I'll start with Mona. Cause I know, uh, I've, I've, I've seen uh, Mona with a child inside of her in, in the womb. Uh, so I know, I, I know you've got a little one, and so I want to start with you and just to get your perspective on that. So, uh, yeah, so I have three. I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a just-turned-2-year-old. Um, so as of now, my husband is working remotely, and I have been working remotely. Our um, engaging in some type of distance learning when they are not on Roblox or YouTube, when they're, you know, not sneaking on one of those platforms. Yeah. Um, but I would say yep. um, it just honestly, just by the grace of God, our daycare continues to stay open. And mm-hmm. I, the for essential employers, essential employers. So I have to say that that has truly been our saving grace because uh, my husband is on the phone from eight to five, sometimes after, and then I am on the phone on on call sometimes from you know for four to five to six hours a day as well. Um, luckily, also our daycare is 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 still open, but the the hours have decreased, so we've had to make some adjustments with that. But when I see and and I engage on social media, when I see the memes that say that it is truly um, impossible to work a full-time job and to make sure that your kids are engaging in distance learning and making sure that their well-being and their needs are met. Your family as a whole unit is being met. It, it truly is challenging. And I will tell you, my kids usually, my girls are usually upstairs. My husband, he has been um, diverted to the dining room table. So I, I've always had an office in our home. My okay. girls will come from downstairs, they will go right by their dad and they will come to the other side of the house to where I am and say, mommy, can you give me some apple juice? 
And I'm like, I'm on a call. I'm literally pointing at my screen. I'm on a call. Go ask your dad. Well, he's working. Well, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? That, that is not I cool. <laughs> the your kids are being... That's real, though. <laughs> oh, we, my I God. Have the, our downstairs bathroom is near my office. And I promise you, if I'm on a call, they wait right until I'm on a call to come and use the bathroom. I'm like, there are all these bathrooms in this house. You wait to come to the one where I'm at on a call to use it. So, of course, I'm oh, apologizing. Yeah. If you hear something in the background, it's one of my girls. It's, I promise you it's not me. Um, but <laughs> it, it truly has. Um, and just not being able to do some of the things that we you know, we're planning on yeah. doing. We had spring break scheduled. We, you know, my girls are they're used to, you know, we are truly home bodies. We love being home, but there's a difference in that being by choice versus now being forced. Um, mm-hmm. but what I have to tell you if, if for my well-being and my my mental health, I have decided that I am trying at least one day a week to go into one of our office locations that is still open. Um just because I need a different setting on some days versus being in the home. That's something that I have identified that really is good for, for my well-being. And going on walks. Yep. Going on walks. Yeah, um, we had a so a couple episodes ago, um, my friends Chris Thompson and Rania mm-hmm. Hassan, uh, they we all discovered that we've been running lately and we are not runners, none of us. So <laughs> We're kind of, we started like an unwanted runners club, you know, where it's like, this, this is not the life we asked for, but this is what we have to do right now to get by. Uh, Tracy, Tracy, some, sometimes us crisis workers like to keep our boundaries between, you know, work and home. Sometimes it's really hard, but uh, same question to you. How has that impacted your, um, you know, your life in, in maybe the ways that you're not necessarily asking for? Yeah, I think I've got to ditto a lot of the things that that Mona said. Um, I have I have two kids here as well too. I have a ten year old and a thirteen year old um, who have some you know learning responsibilities from their school as well too. My husband is still working full time outside of the home, and it's it's a challenge. Um, but it's made me very cognizant that some of our staff are having those exact same challenges as well too. You know, being able to. Um, to balance the two things and um, maintain maintain some boundaries between the two, it's it's a challenge. Um, I, I know for myself, I'm trying really hard that when my day is over, my day is over. Um, that works sometimes. It doesn't work always, but that's always my goal. Um, and I, it, you try to keep the kids out of the room. You try to keep the husband out of the room while you're working, but it's still our house. <laughs> and... Um, and there's still questions on homework and there's still things that come up. And I think it's just remembering that everybody's in the same, in the same boat right now. That is, it kind of gets me through that, that we're all trying to balance all of these things at once. Um, and yeah. and <laughs> keep our sanity at the same time too. So it's a challenge. Yeah. That's uh, the, the struggle is real. I've got three yes. kids at home myself. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all have maybe a 10-year-old at home, and then um, I've got uh, seven and five now. They change. Mm-hmm. Every year, though, the ages <laughs> change. It's hard to keep up with them. But, um, 
but uh, yeah, no, it's it the the struggle's real, and you need and sometimes you got to pick at what you're going to be average at, you know, and can't yeah. be great at everything. Um, and you hope you pick the right things depending oh, on the day. On <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <From> the moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we have already gone, we've already gone through our time, which is amazing. Uh, we mm-hmm. could talk for another hour, I'm sure, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I appreciate both of you being on the show. Um, just a quick plug for those of you that are watching on Facebook, uh, make sure to subscribe. This is a sister podcast of the Crisis Podcast. So if you got to find crisis podcast COVID-19 for this version. We wanted to keep those separated. So if, and when, you know, the pandemic leaves and we go back to normal, uh, we can put this in our little box and say, Hey, remember when, uh, which is why this podcast kind of takes on this nature. But, um, Tracy, Mona, I'm so glad I got to talk to you and see your faces. I hope that you have a great rest of the week and Godspeed with your crisis services. May everyone listen to you and, you know, recognize your genius in crisis services and that you may continue to serve people well in your communities. Thanks. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for having us. Yep. Nice meeting right. you, Tracy. You too, Mona. All right. Take care. You too. Thank you to my guests, Mona Towns and Tracy Bussey. To hear all of the Crisis Podcast COVID-19 episodes, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, or become a fan of the Crisis Podcast on our Facebook page. 